I want to talk to you about sin too. Now, those of you who are born south of the Mason-Dixon, that's a two-part you know, two word, sin. You guys know about sin. <clears throat> if you're older, then you know a lot about sin because you had a lot more chance to interact with sin and, and point out all the sins around the people around you, right? That's how religion works, right? I'm better than them because they did more sin than me. Okay, enough of the comedy. I'll get back to the stuff. There's a reason I don't make living out of comedy. <clears throat> I brought some water up here. Uh, I have had a problem. We're going to, I've had a problem to tell you about right after we talk about safe zones. I have a problem, and that problem is that the way God made me, it's hard for me to bring a bottle of water up here because I am sure someone out there is going to look at that and say, man, I'm thirsty. That's just the way I'm geared. It's just weird. It's got me in trouble, whatever, but it's just the way I'm geared. I don't know what you want to call it. Uh, but it's that way. So just in case, I did bring one up that I've opened. Is someone here thirsty this morning? I do have an extra. Okay, take this back to, are you sure? This is specifically to give away so that I won't feel guilty about bringing water up here. <clears throat> I have to deal with guilt and sin today in myself before I talk to you about sin. Okay, if you do get thirsty, this is here. And I'm not going to feel bad about it if in the middle of my message, when everybody's bored, you come up and get this because it'll re get everybody sharp. This is right here, right by the communion bread, but not on the communion table. Okay? There you go. <laughs> now, to pull out the notes. This is part three, I think. Is this part three of sin, free to sin? You think so? When uh, He's waiting to see if it's going to be worthy of fitting into the series. When Pastor Devin named this series, I thought, oh, my gosh. Actually, I was actually thinking, what are the Baptists going to think? <laughs> Which is a good part of you here, I know, okay? Hey, I was saved in the Southern Baptist Church. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. And I'm thankful for that. Although I grew up in a Pentecostal church. Okay. Let's start in Romans 8, verses 1 through 2. New International Version, and it says this, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. World of truth and wisdom in that statement. We're going to cover that a little bit more. Question, how do I know I'm sinning under the law of the Spirit? The dialogue in our head goes like this, especially you come to a church, we talk about grace, and we say life in Jesus is more than a book of rules. Don't do this, don't touch that, that and don't get close to those people who do. You know, the, you know, I don't drink, what is it, I don't drink, smoke, or chew, I don't hang out with them that do. You know that list. We say it's more than that. So. Dialogue goes like this, and some of this came from talking with Pastor Devin, too. I used to have a set of rules that would tell me what I'm doing and what I'm not doing. How do I do it now that I've learned about grace? Isn't everything great under grace? Isn't that my go sin and feel good about it card? No. But we're going to talk about sin today in a practical way. For two weeks, Pastor Devin has been talking about the two commands of Jesus that summarize 
everything in Scripture and in God's kingdom. We're going to look at it. They're identical in two of the Gospels, and the third Gospel mentions it's two with one slight change. We're going to go to Mark 12, 30, actually Mark 12, 28 through 31. I'm going to read this. This is everything compressed, and Pastor Devin has shared this before. Mark 12, 28 through 30. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Verse 29, the most important one answered Jesus is this. This is actually called the Shema in uh, Hebrew uh, teachings. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. The reason that I went to the trouble to read all of those is the same reason that I believe the Lord went to the trouble to break down what He is saying into four parts. And it will become very clear as I talk to you because we've all run into this in our lives, in the media, in movies, um, in popular culture, and it is something we need to understand. And I'll cover it here in just a minute. I want to go back again to Paul's statement in Romans 8, that the law of the Spirit gives life and He set us free from the law of sin and death. The Holy Spirit speaks to us, and the Holy Spirit is the one that mediates this law of the Spirit to us. And I'm going to explain that too. But we have to let Him and we have to listen. That's why it's so important for us to be led by the Spirit. Everything that the Holy Spirit says and teaches us is in line and must be in line with the written Word of God. That's one thing we have to set as a standard and a boundary at all times. The Holy Spirit will never go against His own Word. Remember, the Holy Spirit is not a thing plus God. The Holy Spirit is God. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all God. They're one. So when they speak, when the Holy Spirit speaks... He will speak something totally in line with that which He has already delivered to us. Okay. Why do I need to be led by the Holy Spirit? Have, how many of you guys have seen or even participated in a military convoy or a reserve convoy? How many of you have seen them or participated in them? All of you guys are in the reserve and army. You guys have done this before. You ever notice a vehicle with a long whip antenna? The antenna is probably at least eight feet long. Sometimes they bow it over the front. And that vehicle is usually a lighter vehicle, and it's either leading the convoy or it's sitting beside the road waiting for the convoy to catch up. Well, in that structure, that one vehicle gets all of the communications, and that run vehicle sets the orders. It determines the pace of the trip. It sets the destination of the trip. That vehicle determines when everybody else in that long convoy gets to stop for a potty break. They decide where they're going to eat, when they're going to stop and sleep. Everything comes through that vehicle. What if we actually became modern and every vehicle had a GPS? And every vehicle actually inputted into the GPS what the, what the goal was. And then they could actually, what if every soldier inside every vehicle had a cell phone, we could really get modern, and they could have GPS, and they could get directions, and they actually had a will to do that. 
That means that if at any point a vehicle maybe had to stop or something, they'd get back in line, everything would arrive right on time in the order necessary. What we're seeing here is a picture of life before and a life after the law. And at life before and a life after, the Holy Spirit was released in the earth. In the Gospels, we see 12 men and a large group of ladies, and then later up to 70, and then hundreds of people following Jesus. But the whole group had the wait before Jesus told them where to go, where to meet, and what they would do. And whenever he was taken out of the picture or stepped out of the picture, whether he went to pray all night or if he was taken in the passion all the way through and then died, the whole system broke down. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know why they were doing it. Everything fell apart until the Holy Spirit came. Jesus exchanged places. The Holy Spirit came down. Jesus, because of his mission, he had to take his mission as God in a human body. So he's limited to one place at one time, speaking to however many people could crowd around that one human body. The Holy Spirit, because of his mission, is totally spirit. He operates in the omniscience, the omnipresence of God. He can minister to every breathing human being on the planet at once simultaneously with no problem whatsoever, individually tailoring that communication. That was the plan of God. Now, second point, it takes relationship with Jesus to overcome sin. We're talking about sin. And in this relationship with Jesus, that is what motivates us and changes us to make that happen. Jesus put it this way. And we, this is one of the favorite scriptures over the years that we just completely hammer over and over and over again. I'm going to read it from Luke 9, verses 23 through 25. All this will fit together. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their crosses daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. This is right after he's told them that he's going to, the, all these things are going to happen to the Son of Man. They still hadn't gotten a clue that the Son of Man was Jesus. And he talks about how he's going to be taken. He'll be punished and bruised. Then he'll be uh, killed on a cross, laid down his life on a cross, and then he'll be raised on the third day. They still did not have a clue that Jesus was literally talking about them. They thought maybe this is a parable or something. And then immediately after that's when this statement's given. If anyone wants to follow me, if anyone... That's why they took it so seriously. When he's saying, well, wait, wait, wait a minute, this, this cross thing, I thought that was like a, a teaching parable like those other things. You mean you want us to follow you and, and die on this cross, this Roman thing that you're talking about? This is what he says for all time, and it's, it's, this shows up in the other Gospels. You have to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. But he goes on, what, is good, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? I brought up this thing to point out something. God's way of dealing with sin is dramatically different from man's way of dealing with sin. And many of the things that the church has done over the centuries is we've adapted man's way of dealing with sin all over again. Let me explain. We've all been around and watched 
Well, some of you guys were around when the Beatles were around. <clears throat> really, it's now old people. It's hard to believe. Anyway, uh, but the Beatles made a big splash one time when they started experimenting and making trips to India and, and meet with the, you guys, Maharashi, whatever his name was. Uh, but they started meeting with the guru because they wanted to find truth. Well, many religions, such as Buddhism and Hinduism, use stair-step methods and principles, and they want to do four things, basically. They want to eliminate passions because passions distract. They want to minimize or remove the importance of the body. They want to empty the mind, and they want to lose the self in preparation for nirvana. And Hinduism and Buddhism have slightly different views of, of nirvana, but basically it's it, the, the root word for the original Sanskrit or Hindu word means to snuff or to blow out. It means to blow out. You basically end the cycle of life, of birth, life, and death. Of course, they believe that cycle goes over and over again, and the way they look at it is a curse. So the highest point, the highest pinnacle in man-made religions is also often to end the pain of the life cycle and just lose yourself in the nothingness of eternity. To me, that's a curse. But they viewed this, that was their goal. In contrast, God tells us, no, 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 give them all to me. What did he say? Love me and worship me with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, and all of your mind. He doesn't say leave your mind out the back door. He doesn't say leave your body and beat your body into senseless stupidity. He doesn't say, I don't want the strength of your physical body. He doesn't say, I want you to kill your passions. He says, give them to me. I'll kill them and bring them back to life again. I'll make you more passionate than you've ever been. I'll make you burn for something to the point where you'd willingly lay down your life for it. I don't know about you, but I'd rather live my life burning for something than just smoldering away and die with no passion whatsoever. It's false. If anyone tells you that the, the following Jesus Christ, you have to give up everything, and then they leave it there, don't believe them. You give up everything. Jesus kills the old man and resurrects the new man. And the way Jesus says it is you find your true self, the one that was there while Jesus and God conceived you in his wisdom before you were ever born. When we allow him to help us handle sin every day, because really it's a done deal, Jesus did it. What we do every day is he teaches us how to, how to walk in it, what he's already done. It's like a gift. It's like if Prince Andrew, whoever's in line for the throne, I'm not up on all that. You know, they don't let him be king right away. They make him go through all kinds of stuff. They even make the, the guys they have to go and do army service. They have to do all kinds of stuff and be trained to actually walk in what they had at birth. That's kind of a picture of you and I as Christians. But we get it wrong. Sometimes we go back to the old law book and the rules and the regulations, and we think that's it. And the problem with that is it plays right into our weakness as human beings. Because once you have managed the ability of, well, let's see, I have two little grandsons, and one has learned to be potty trained, and one has, is now just starting that progress. Well, big brother could say, I've learned how to do my business and not get the whole floor wet. I'm better than you are. 
That's kind of us. That's how we do it. I've learned how not to steal from my neighbor, so I'm better from the jerk over there that that's his living. Well, I've learned how to pray with these and thous. I have much more powerful prayer life than you do. King James would be proud of me. I mean, we do stuff like that because we're people. We're just people. We pretend that we're better than that. I don't know about you, but I know I ain't. I, I pull all kinds of stunts all the time, and I know I'm supposed to wear my collar backwards, but I have news for you. If you are wearing your collar backwards, you still have stinky thoughts. You still do stuff that you wish you hadn't, but it's too late. Sin problem. So that's what we're talking about, how to deal with sin. When Jesus said the three things that we're supposed to do, deny ourselves daily, Luke says, deny ourselves daily. He was the doctor. He was the one trained in detail. So when it comes to this statement, he's the one added daily, I think it was for a reason. He knows us. God knows us. We need to do something daily because just like the one-time commitment on the altar, that doesn't cut it, people. That's, Jesus was never satisfied with just that. That's going through the door, yes. That's stepping under the blood of Jesus, yes. But every single day, that's why Jesus, when you ask him what he means for discipleship, if any man wants to follow me, let him deny himself daily. Doggone it, Lord. Daily. Deny himself daily. Take up his cross. No way. Yes way. Yahweh, yes, yes, absolutely. Take up your cross and follow me. Uh, this is a daily look at discipleship. This is God's sin breaker program. It's following him. It's not a sin avoidance program. If we get into a sin avoidance program, you have to carry your rule book around with you. You have to start keeping score, and you will inevitably start comparing your score with your other person's score, and you have competition join in where competition has no place. You guys understand that in the life with Jesus, competition doesn't apply? The only competition is, let he who would be great among you become the servant of all. That's the only acceptable competition in the body of Christ, is a great dive for servanthood. So the greatest servants among us, the greatest leaders must be According to Scripture now, now maybe culture has something different and the church culture might have something different, but the Scriptures teach us, he who would be greatest among you, greatest preachers, greatest evangelists, greatest apostles, yeah, we believe apostles exist, the greatest must be the greatest servant of all, diving to the bottom to lift other people up. Hallelujah. Here's the challenge for us. I'm going to read it from 2 Corinthians 5.15. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. That's the challenge as Christians. We're not called to just come to an altar and make a commitment and then leave it there. That's like coming to an altar, making a pledge to your spouse, and then leaving it there, and then go live just like you did before. Who can I pick up at the bar this weekend? I'm sure your spouse would be just thrilled with that kind of behavior, right? 
Unfortunately, probably a few of you may have even experienced that sad situation. No, that's like playing house without the commitment, without the lifelong commitment and agreement and discipline of loving and falling in love over and over again and dealing with the difficulties and growing while you do it. Whole different picture. Jesus, when He calls us, it's like a marriage. He calls us for a lifelong walk with Him. But the cool part about it is, is He models more than any spouse could ever model what it's like to love us when we're up and love us when we're down, love us when we're doing right and love us when we're not doing so well. He loves us through our stuff. He loves us the entire time. He doesn't love us less. He loves us the same, deeply, enough that He gave His life for us every day of our existence and beyond. Now, the Pharisees, as we see them described in the New Testament, were experts at following the law. They were good at it. They actually kept those rules. The problem was, according to Jesus, was that in their hearts, where the real following takes place, they weren't following the Lord. In fact, when they were pressed to it, they chose their religious ways and their rule books over the one who gave them those in the first place. And we can do the same thing. I can tell you this, we're no better than the Pharisees are as human beings. In fact, when it comes to discipline, they probably outstrip most of us. They were religiously very disciplined. They were also, for the most part, very moral people if you go by the rule book. Now, if you take it beyond that, like Jesus always does to the heart, they're not doing any better than you and I. There's good news behind this. But Jesus actually called them, and Pastor Devin covered this previously, He called them whitewashed tombs because they were pretty on the outside and they had dead things, decaying things on the inside. That's true for any of us that are trying to look good on the outside because we're following the rules that everybody goes by or appear to be. We're on the inside. We're filled with all kinds of filthy things. I can tell you this, that probably right now, a good chunk of the men in this room are mismanaging the God-given uh, sexual drives they have, and they're dealing with pornography, and they're not doing well with it. You don't have to raise your hand, but I just know that's true. That's just an example. I'll stay away from the ladies right now. Julie says, thank you. <clears throat> thank you. It's a question of being led by the Spirit. Romans 8.14 tells us that those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. Simply avoiding sin won't work. We're trying to get our uh, uh, walkie-talkies working here. Deal. Here's the thing I want you to do. Deal with sin one bite at a time. When you try and go with a rule book, it's impersonal. It's not spiritual. It's just behavior-based. It's actually, it's easy to pastor a church that I call them, I don't know what I call them. I want to stay out of trouble here because I love, I love my brothers and my sisters in other denominations. And uh, I know that just as soon as I point out a problem they have, I have problems that can be pointed out and are just as glaring. But it's easier to pastor a church that goes by, um, I grew up in one that really went by clothesline religion 
what you wore, uh, how long your sleeves were, blah, 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 all that stuff that had to do with outward appearance of holiness usually disguised a lot of stuff on the inside. So let me go beyond that. It's easier to steer with small adjustments, with immediate adjustments, than wait until you're way off course in a large ship and then do a major adjustment. Most of the large ships today, uh, many of you have gone on cruise ships. If you ever go up to the, cast, uh, to the uh, uh, control deck, you'll see that uh, large computers are constantly, constantly making adjustments in those ships uh, and the computers access uh, multiple GPS points. And so rather than wait until the ship gets way off it and then try and turn that thing and, and finally correct course, they're constantly adjusting because they're in water, they're dealing with currents, they have wind, it's a big ship, people moving inside the ship all the time. It has to be constantly adjusted because it's not a straight line. Let me give you a hint. Your life is not a straight line. Your life is going up and down, all around. You're a human being. We don't, we don't do that. That's why I sometimes wonder about school and little boys. I could never color inside the lines. I still can't. It drives me crazy. Anyway, I just, there'd be a wild hair, and I'd go, on purpose, just to do it. Hallelujah. Anyway, enough of me. I told you I had a problem. Basically, those large ships, there's no yellow lines. It's not like driving a car. There's no yellow line. There's no stop signs. There's no distance markers. They have to have a different guidance system. It used to be by the stars, and now they use GPS and other systems. Well, the Holy Spirit has given us our own 24-7 lifetime personal trainer called the Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit is so crucial in, our, in how we deal with sin. And the biggest thing is our life should not be oriented towards sin. Sin should always be in the rearview mirror. You're going to encounter it every day, but the difference is your guide is on the inside. The Holy Spirit, if you develop the ability to have a conversation with the Holy Spirit, He will deal with the sin problem. It will be an automatic thing as you're pursuing God, as you're pursuing the Lord, and have a dialogue with the Holy Spirit, it'll work that way. Uh, Jesus told his disciples before he, just before his death and resurrection in John 16, verses 12 through 14, he said this, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known unto you. This is describing this relationship between the Son and the Spirit. The Spirit, because He can be everywhere at all times and speak to each of us personally in detail and get it directly through Jesus, who according to Scripture is praying for us 24-7, you and me by name. He prays and intercedes for us, and He prays for the whole body, all of us together. The weird part is God sends a personal trainer that works with us individually but he absolutely mandates that it all happens at once with us moving together. It's not just me and God. It's us and God, yet he deals with just me too. That's one of the unique things. Only God can do this. Once the Holy Spirit begins working with us, the holy moves in and sin takes on a whole new look. How does this work? I know I'll tell you a story here. 
The, the title of this story, if you're taking notes, is Finding Julie. <laughs> she hates this part. Finding Julie. And uh, the same thing that makes me worry about people in a, any kind of group uh, wanting a bottle of water uh, also makes me sensitive to different people. I can sense stuff and all that good thing. But uh, from a young age when I first discovered dating, there was a, a thing God had built in me that whoever finally uh, linked up with me, uh, I would, it would be for life. It would be because that was it. I was just geared there. There's something that did. It would be a lock, a lock in, which was a problem because God, I think I probably wore out two or three angels because, you know, from the first date I fell in love and the second date or the, and then a whole string of girls or whatever through high school. Not that I was a big Romeo. I just lived a long time. Anyway, uh, uh, yeah, I know it. Have you ever seen me take a swig yet? I'm still too bothered to drink water in front of people. Anyway, uh, there was one in that high school that went to the same assembly uh, church with me and uh, had everything uh, right, supposedly, and I was really falling head over heels with her. didn't know it at the time, but she was living two lives. God knew it. She was a precious girl, but there was a wound in her life that caused her to do that and keep two, run two separate lives. And the other person was much older, had a Corvette, and was uh, pretty wild, the whole thing. That was the attraction, something about that that was a broken part of her that was really attracted to that. And, uh, and it became so serious. I mean, I was ready to propose and the whole thing. I didn't know what I was doing, but that's, you know, there's this drive in me. And um, uh, the Lord, one, one night, finally, I just was taking it to Him. Because at, that, at the same time this was going on, God was really drawing me close into intimacy with Him. As, uh, at that point, I was really spending time writing a lot of worship. I was worshiping, you know, probably spend three or four hours a day or late into the night. And I was writing songs and had a band and... Uh, we're doing a lot of things. So he's really speaking to me. And finally, it became so painful. I prayed all the way through the night one time. And the next morning, it's like God took scissors and just cut it. Just severed the relationships like that. So I walked into church that Sunday, which was the next day. And there was a girl. And I had no compulsion, no draw. It's like God had snipped the emotional strings just like that. And that day is when she announced this other person. And it would have normally devastated me. I said, good, be blessed. And I went on my way. God had, I didn't know it, but God, because I was geared to totally devote whatever I was to that person, God was actually saving me. Not because she was such an evil person, but the connections, the, the whole thing would have deviated a call on my life. And... She had had a chance to do different things. And the Lord, I met her years later, and she had gone through a lot of pain and was, was walking with the Lord again, and God was restoring her life. But it was just God was protecting. And some of you here, God has severed relationships in your life. I'm telling you now, listen to the Holy Spirit. Scriptures tell us that to those who know to do good and do it not, to them it's sin. It's one of those definitions of sin. The Holy Spirit has saved you from a relationship that's deadly or toxic. Don't go back. Don't. 
God moves things. God changes circumstances sometimes to save us or to protect us or to keep us not only from sin but from devastating pain, sometimes destructive pain. The Holy Spirit speaks, but we have to develop a way to talk to Him. It begins in Scripture, but go beyond Scripture. If all you do is study Scripture, you have a head full of knowledge and no heart full of God. You need to commune with Jesus. You need to commune in the Holy Spirit, and you're going to discover that He talks to you. I personally have never heard the audible voice of God. Some of you in this room have. I have not, but I have heard God speak continuously since I was 10 years old, continuously, constantly, even in those moments where I was far from him, I heard him speak to me. And it was just, I just knew I had guidance. I knew what he was saying at different points. I didn't always know all the details, but he was always there. I could sense his presence. It was very difficult for me to sin, even though I tried hard, especially in high school. It reached the point where I was running with some guys that weren't so great, and I, you know, some of them later became the heads of the mafia families in Kansas City. A lot of them are now dead. Um, there were other people that weren't so cool. And uh, I tried. I just could not fit in. I just could not. And they liked me. What they liked about me was there's something about me that it, now I know it was the Jesus inside me. They could talk to me about their troubles. So there I was in a car with a guy with a billy jack and a loaded 9-millimeter, and he was 17 years old. And he was looking for a fight. Now, what would I do in a car with a guy like that? Going to a party with all the stuff I, you know, well, I didn't fit in. I didn't fit in. I just tried, but I didn't. The Holy Spirit, if you begin to listen to him, he will take care of the sin in your life. And he will be persistent in how he deals with the sin in your life to the point you'll get irritated. He'll make you angry because... We can divert other people. You guys, some of you are so skilled, you can divert skilled counselors with diversion questions and all kinds of other stuff. You can fake them out. But the Holy Spirit, there's no fake-out move in existence. Just as soon as you think you've exhausted your big, long excuse and all your justification, he'll come right back to it. Now, about this, and you get irritated, and he will do it until you let him heal it. That's the wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit's role in dealing with sin. While he's dealing with sin, a lot of our sin, guys, is tied to our pain. Some of you guys that are dealing with addictions, chances are extremely high. I know we talk about DNA and, and uh, how it's genetic and stuff like that. I've discovered that many times a lot of those studies... I've had to do a lot of books, medical books and stuff like that as a ghostwriter and rewriter. And uh, I don't know if you've ever done this, but if you go into the world of, of research, scientific research, medical research, you can pick and choose whatever study you want. You can either be really picky and get the good scientific studies that were done under true scientific method and really were impartial, or you can go to the ones that were actually paid for by the corporations and the government entities, and they got what they paid for. They said ahead of time what they wanted to show, and bingo, it shows, especially in pharmaceuticals. Sorry about that, but that's where it shows. Well, you know, with the Holy Spirit, he's never fooled by any of that stuff, and he gets us where we go, and he will speak to us about our problems. Hallelujah. Finish up. This is our story in three short, short verses. John the Baptist said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
Jesus took away the sin of the world. He dealt with sin once and for all. In the cosmic sense, it's dealt with now in real life. Paul said in Romans 7, 6, but now by dying to what once bound us, he's really talking about rule systems, sin avoidance as a religion, we have been released from the law. We have been released from the fear that our salvation depends totally on how we act moment by moment. There are certain groups in the Christian world that I love, and I'm, there's a, a many Amish groups, and I love them very much. We've lived among them at different times and wonderful people, but the theology they have is that if they're, if they're driving in their buggy and they happen to see a worldly billboard and they have a lust thought because they see a suntan commercial, and they die because a tractor hits their buggy, they think they'll go to hell because in that moment they had a thought. Whereas we think differently, there is a grace that covers us. The sin thing has been taken care of. It does not condone us stepping into sin, but the Holy Spirit guides us. Now, he goes on, he says, we've been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not the old way of the written code. Is Paul saying ditch the Bible? Absolutely not. But he is saying that when Jesus came, he fulfilled the law. His Spirit within us gives us the want to. In fact, I'm going to quote a scripture next, which will be familiar to you. He gives us the want to, and then he gives us the power to pull it off, which we never had before. Before Jesus, we had the law that said what was basically right and wrong. Most of them had to do with relationship to God and relationships to other people. Remember the two great commands. Now, with the Holy Spirit at work in us and the work of the cross done, the blood of Jesus removes the sin and the guilt that goes with it. Now, how do we live every single day? Well, John covers that in 1 John 3.16. Jesus took care of our sin problem. Now the Holy Spirit comes and He's showing us how to serve in a new way, not by a written code. 1 John 3.16 puts it this way. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Is that sounding familiar? Remember the two great commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The two great commandments. The entire Bible summed up in those two commands. If you want to please God, love Him and love others. And the way we do it is not just through a list of Do's, don'ts, don't touch, please touch this. It's having the living God dwelling in us through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit comes in us. I'm going to finish with a great promise in Philippians 2. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So God's taken us from a rule book to an indwelling power. And the Holy Spirit does more than talk to us about doing right and wrong. He brings power and authority.
and this living for other people, that ties in with the Great Commission. Everything comes back to that. The Great Commission says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news, which is what we talk about, this good news story, and make disciples. If we live a life of sin, we're basically sitting in the back seat of the car looking at what's going past us from the back. <clears throat> but on the other hand, if we're following Jesus, we have to have our eyes forward. The sin is going past us in the back mirror. It's taken care of. And every day, the Holy Spirit is in you making those small adjustments. So you never, your life never veers off. The only way your life will veer off completely is if you ignore the small adjustments the Holy Spirit's making every day. Only then will you veer way off and end up in an adulterous affair. Only then will you veer off and end up with the IRS calling you because you cheated on your taxes. We, this stuff happens. Only then will you end up with a near-fatal flaw in your marriage, in your communication. Because all along, if you guys are honest and if I'm honest, the Holy Spirit's been nudging us when it was a small problem saying, make the connection. Listen to your spouse and get it right this time. Don't do that on your taxes. Go ahead, pay the full tax. Don't worry about it. I'll supply. Everything God does is rooted in faith. Every problem you face, if you trust God, on finding Julie, uh, you know, I almost got diverted all those times. And finally, I reached the point where I gave it to God. I was, I was almost 30. I was 29 years old. This went from like 16 to 19 before God, or, or 29, before God would get hold of me. How long is that, guys? 13 years? I'm terrible at math. Anyway, uh, it took a long time. And I finally said, you know, Lord, I'm yours. I don't care if I ever marry or not. Bingo, Julie arrives. And you know what God's spoken to her after, and she can share her own testimony, long life, uh, difficult situations. But by the time she arrived in Arkansas from Southern California, who comes to Arkansas from California? Anyway, well, yeah, she's still trying to figure that one out, but God brought her here. She also had said, Lord, I don't care if I never marry, I belong to you. So when we came together, and began to talk, all we talked about was Jesus, and we burned for the kingdom. And so we stayed good friends for many months, pretending that we didn't like each other. She fell for me the first day. I... Yeah, she didn't have much chance, did she? I mean, look at this. But anyway, already in trouble. You guys, do you get the point? The sin thing is fixed day by day, by the Holy Spirit speaking to you personally and guiding you and loving you through the whole thing. It's amazing how he guides us. David, I know you have.